Welcome to the Wonders of Thedas podcast, your one-stop shop for all your Dragon Age role-playing game needs. My name is Ren. And I'm Jessica. Welcome to another exciting episode where we talk about magic. Woo! We love magic. Yeah, I do like these episodes. These have been a lot of fun. Yeah, I really, I think these are uh, particularly enjoyable. I mean, I'm always a mage kind of person. Yeah, you're a mage kind of person. Magic's your jam. It's cool. I'm more of a warrior kind of guy, but, you know, magic is you know, important. it's not like you benefit from this sort of Of course thing. not. Definitely. Never. So, uh, of that course, said. we had ourselves another poll on our social media, as we are wont to do. Uh, this time we are winding down on the number of magical schools that we have left to cover, so this will be the last one for magical schools that we'll hold, because next time we'll just talk about the loser for this one, since we only had two choices. Of course, they are my two favorite choices. Naturally. The votes actually ended up being a little bit higher than that. Uh, it ended up with uh, Creation winning out. Mm -hmm. I've got about double the votes of Spirit, if I'm not mistaken. Man, which is kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. Although, uh, there's there's some really interesting stuff in both schools, so yes. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Oh, yeah. It. They'll both be good things to talk about. So we're going to get straight into it. We're going to jump right into our codex. You can ask me questions if you like. I'm not sure why you'd want to, but... Oh, good. Thank you. I'm going to regret this, aren't I? Welcome to the Codex. We've got a lot to talk about today, so let's get right into it. Uh, first questions come from Frodo Fernando on our Facebook page. Frodo Fernando wrote, Hi, I have another two questions, this time about rules. One, heavy plane armor reduces damage by 10. Is there a minimum damage on a hit, or if I hit with a short sword, is it impossible to cause damage unless you can use fierce armor? Um, That's a... I mean, it's not... There's no minimum damage, unfortunately, uh, Frodo. But... Um, Pure, see, if you've got a short sword and not much strength, Pierce Armor is pretty much going to be your only option against somebody with heavy with a heavy plate like that. Um, mm. But, you know, heavy plates don't often come up as uh, things that enemies are wearing. That's, yeah, most people can't afford heavy plate. Right. If you're coming up against somebody with heavy plate, they're probably a successful adventurer or someone like a Templar or uh, a Chevalier, or somebody who is very well trained. So if you actually come up against an enemy with heavy plate, you've probably got more problems to worry about than just a high AR. Um, mm. But as to answer your question, if you are just using a short sword... And, and you, you don't have any special abilities that are making you better. And they're making better damage, like uh, duelist stuff, or uh, or, yeah. bonuses to da or bonuses to damage from spells, or from potions, then... You're kind of hosed. You're in trouble. You're going to want a bigger weapon or a bigger friend. Right. Or, some, or some magic. Or some magic. Magic always helps. Uh, second question. Can you heal companions at any time with a major action uh, if they receive damage? Isn't that a bit broken? Um, I have a few things to say about this one. Yeah, please go ahead. Um, it's uh, one. Of, there are a couple of things that keep this from being broken. In the earlier levels, it certainly has more impact than it does in mid to later levels. And the uh, the ability to heal a companion as a minor action definitely extends the sort of like uh, the life of this mm -hmm. a bit more. But some of the things that get in the way of this are one, it's a major action. So when you could be doing something else, like actually defeating the enemy, 
you are instead, you know, using your action to heal somebody. In there are a couple of times when this works, and that's when the healing is able to keep up with the damage. So mm-hmm. at lower levels, yeah, this is a pretty powerful thing to be able to do, and is a good part of keeping people alive. It is not easy to stay alive in early Dragon Age levels. Yeah, so it's a good thing to have. Yes. That said, it uh, it and we're going to talk a bit more about this as regards magical healing as well, but mm-hmm. the amount of healing you are doing with this is rather small. I believe it's... Just the dragon die original. your dragon die result plus your cunning. Yeah, plus cunning. So you're not likely healing a whole heck of a lot. So probably at most, like, nine at level one. If you had a three intellect and rolled... And rolled a six on the uh, dragon die. Three cunning and rolled a six on the dragon die. Good luck with that. But uh, something, something. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad, but <laughs> it certainly does not scale with hit points and with damage. Mm-mm. And so there comes a time, I would say, nothing nothing later than level mm-hmm. six or seven. If you're taking the later... Maybe eight. Like, if, if you're taking the, the talent, it lasts longer. Yes. But... You can extend it a bit, but... But once you hit mid-levels, this ceases to be particularly useful. It definitely doesn't keep up with the damage. It's just another one of the myriad ways that you can heal people. Yeah. And get them a little extra, a little extra oomph. And it's good in a pinch. If somebody, it's good that it is a major action, simply because if you've got a friend who's in the dying state, they may not have all that much time left to survive. And once someone's gone in Dragon Age, they're gone. So if having this be something that you can do is continues to be of at least something that you might need. But it does lose its sort of brokenness and then even sort of its viability as you gain levels. Mm-hmm. You want to take those uh, those ranks in Jurgy to extend its life a bit, mm-hmm. but then you'll probably want to look down other avenues. So yeah. thank you, thank you, Frodo. Uh, next question comes from Matt uh, Matt Piasecki, I believe. Piasecki, Piasecki. I think, I think you probably got it right the first time. Mm-hmm. Matt Piasecki on our Facebook page uh, had a couple questions for us. Uh, number one, what do you think of the balance of specializations that require only primary or secondary talents versus ones that favor a mix? Clearly the former are going to require more planning, so you think that they, you think that their mechanics are more powerful slash rewarding. Uh, that applies to only a few of the specializations. If I'm not mistaken, uh, so what's it yeah. called? Uh, Marksman does require you to be a journeyman in throne weapon style or archery style. Uh, Duelist only requires novice in dual weapon style. Uh, Bard does require me, uh, being a novice in music. Let's see. Um, let's see. Well, FBI. when you say talents, are you talking about... Uh, oh, so talking He's about... probably talking about like taking actual talents. Uh, if you want to be a chevalier, you have to be a journeyman in mounted combat style. Uh, if you want to be a guardian, you have to be a journeyman in weapon and shield. Uh, as for whether or not they are more worth it after putting in that expenditure in... I think so. I think, the, and honestly, those talents are probably going to be things that you want anyway. They, um, it usually seems to be that you, uh, the talents that, or the uh, the talents that are required for those things are mm-hmm. things that you would really kind of want if you were taking that style of combat anyway. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to be a guardian, you probably are taking weapon and shield style anyway. Mm-hmm. I imagine. If, uh, if you were referring to ability scores, like having uh, primary and secondary ability scores mm-hmm. as the requirements, it, uh, it is interesting that, you know, there are some that have 
all primary abilities and some mm-hmm. that have a mix. Some that have all secondaries. That is true. Spirit Warriors. <laughs> all secondary abilities. Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, it's a bit easier when you have one that's a mix than if you've got mm-hmm. one that's all primaries. Yeah. Because you can spread the stat bonuses out when you've, uh, especially when you've only got the five, for, like the first four levels to level up before you can start taking specializations. Yeah. Although to be honest with you, I'm not really sure if the uh, difficulty in planning for the ones that are more challenging to reach the prereqs for matches up with the sort of usefulness of mm-hmm. the uh, specialization. Yeah. I've not. I really think, looked into that. Right. It's an interesting concept, though. I think that, uh, from what I know, they're mostly talents that you were probably going to take in the first place, so they're or, just um, they're just going to help. But, I um, mean, supposing that if we're talking in the, in the realm of ability scores, like, mm-hmm. some of them are, like, you were not going to have a magic of three if you weren't going to be a, a spirit, uh, a uh, spirit, a spirit warrior. warrior when you're being a warrior, right. Um... And Legionnaire Scout requires you to have willpower and constitution of three or higher. Of course, it also requires you to be a dwarf and be a member of the Legion of the Dead. But that one's pretty solid. But see, willpower and constitution have a usefulness even for fighters. It's true. Like, even for warriors. Mm -hmm. That said, magic, unless you are in a very magic-heavy, like, very magic-heavy campaign where Mm -hmm. you're fighting mages all the time... There's not a whole lot of use for the magic ability for mm-hmm. warriors. That's, That's not true. something you would really want to put all of your precious points into having a three in. That's true. You're not going to use it that much unless you're fighting a bunch of entropy mages, which tend to be less common than primalists. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. For marksmen, I definitely think it's worth the... Uh, let's see, this one requires two primary uh, abilities, but does require you to be a journeyman in one of two talents. And... Um, but you were probably going to be doing that anyway because those are ranged stuff, and that does let you do penetrating on a pierce armor. Mm-hmm. That's one of that's like one of the two specializations letting you do that. So I'd say it's probably a mix, but I usually figure that they're probably worth it. Yeah, well, and we're not really—I don't think we're really sure if the ones that are that require more planning are more powerful. I think it's definitely a good idea to have what you want to do in mind when you start up your character build. Mm-hmm. Simply because things, you know, especially if you're talking about abilities, these things can be very difficult mm-hmm. to uh, get set up. Like, That's it true. is hard to increase your abilities. Yes. Once you start getting to six or higher, it costs a lot. And nobody wants to spend their secondary abilities on something that's only going to be serving as the gateway into their uh, specialization. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really do them much else good. The ones that usually require, like... Special is it like uh, um, ability scores or even lots of talents are usually very special. Like I mean, they're specializations, but do very That's specific, awesome. very specific things. Like Legionnaire Scout has a lot of requirements, and it gives you, uh, it does give you some pretty solid stuff that a rogue would not normally have. So I think the let's see, and Spirit Warrior requires you to have two secondary abilities at three, mm-hmm. but it makes you a monster when you're fighting demons. Yep, they they you know they've all got their benefits. So mm-hmm. I guess it's really sort of a try it out for yourself. Right. Uh, I think that they're all fun and worth it. Yeah, it's, but the uh, the ones that require more planning aren't necessarily more powerful and yeah, rewarding. Yeah, I agree. I think they're usually about the same power levels regardless yeah. of the, spe- the requirements to get there. Just about what you want to do. Let's mm-hmm. look at that second question yes. though before we talk this one into the ground. <laughs> right. 
Uh, fighters get two specializations that touch on magic, Reaver and Spirit Warrior, but rogues get none. Though I guess Bard and Ranger are somewhat supernatural. But what do you think about these specializations being available to rogues? What happens when a rogue undergoes the Reaver ritual? That's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. I, I'm you. I personally am usually in favor of having the specializations stick to a specific class because it makes mm-hmm. the class. It gives you a reason to take the class, or it makes the class a bit more special, uh, and that it has something that no other class gets. But that being said, I do think that things like the Spirit Warrior and Reaver could be ported over to Rogue. Yeah, and if you didn't, even if you were more of a stickler for keeping talents to mm-hmm. respective classes, or uh, keeping specializations or respective classes, I could absolutely see someone sort of homebrewing analogs for the Reaver and for the Spirit Warrior mm-hmm. that are for more rogue-style combat. Because you're yes. right, there really there aren't any rogue-like specializations that even touch or you know really brush against magic. And it would be cool hmm. if there were, because... The magic of song. That... Stop. <laughs> no. Song of friendship and journeyman degree. I, I, That's magic. I mean, That's magic if I ever saw it. Assassins kill people. Magic of death. Thank you for your question. No, I'm, <laughs> I, uh, I do think that it would be a good idea to have uh, something for that. And I think it would be interesting to see a rogue mm-hmm. that undergoes the Reaver ritual. Um, if you wanted to do it in-game, I think my only suggestions would be either keeping this, the requirements the same way they are, because all of these, especially Spirit Warrior and Reaver, are both secondary spe- secondary abilities for all rogues. Um, and if you wanted to maybe make them a bit trickier to get into because they're not specific to because they're not specific to the rogue class, maybe just increase the ability uh, requirements by one. But that would um, probably pigeonhole it into being a second specialization. I take. I could see allowing Reaver to be dexterity and constitution of three hmm. or higher, simply because strength is such a core skill for warriors that replacing yes. it with dexterity for rogue seems reasonable. I could see it. So yeah, I mean. Give it a try. Find, Let us know. Find out what works. Find out what doesn't. We want to know. Sure. Uh, number three. Something that might be covered in Inquisition or its DLC, but where did Darkspawn gear come from? We're led to believe they are, by and large, mindless and without culture. Do you think Corypheus hammered out a million jagged swords and shields and left them in a big box marked, open in case of blight? I mean, this is kind of like asking in the Sonic universe where Eggman gets all of the money for his uh, robot armies. Like <laughs> They just do. A wizard did it, is kind of the... Um, There are actually Darkspawn that do smithing, just not well. Darkspawn gear is not good, but it's usually created by minds that are cruel and wicked enough that it ends up being a little bit more deadly, if maybe a bit more brittle. I would also argue that, given that there have been many, 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 many blights, and many of them lasted for a whole lot longer than that most recent one. Mm-hmm. The opportunities to take weapons have been numerous oh, for for uh, Darkspawn as a whole. They probably could even have like whole cra- like crafting quote-unquote traditions passed well, on between Blights. Even if they don't craft, like having a bunch of broken up weapons that mm-hmm. they've had, you know, that have been in Darkspawn's sort mm-hmm. of... I wouldn't say family, right? but Darkspawn lines for generations, mm-hmm. i.e. one dies and the next one picks it up and then oh, yeah. uses it until he dies and the next one picks it up. Oh, yeah. Like, that seems entirely feasible to me. So yeah. I would guess that it usually is going to come from, you know, people they killed. Could also make an excellent vector for which you can give PCs sweet gear. As if the uh, 
the dark spawn. Let's see, the dark spawn alpha runs up when you clearly see that their sword is glowing. Yeah. Whoa. Probably want to take that one out first. Yeah, go for that one first. Get that sweet sword. So to answer your question, they do have crafters. They're just not very good. They're just they're they're bare minimum. They make sure that the swords have points. I did not know they had crafters. They do actually. Just uh, they're not necessarily very great crafters. Just. They don't really do repairs. They mostly just make sharp objects that they can hold as a hilt, and they will just take jagged pieces of metal, probably harvested from uh, the dark swan, and just lash them all together to make armor. So it works okay, but not necessarily good gear. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is serviceable. Uh, they're certainly not. You're never going to see a, dwar- uh, a dark spawn made masterwork. Although they could make a really interesting plot hook for an adventure. That would be. Find, a, find out that the dark spot are getting very well equipped. Anyway, thank you so much for the questions, Matt. Thank you. Uh, moving on to uh, see one of our uh, habitual question askers and uh, perhaps number one fan, Percival, <laughs> on the Green Writing Forums. How uh, you doing? Hello. Your question was, apparently the Force Mage talents in the computer game did not have much effect moving non-bipedal creatures, i.e. those with four or more legs. Do you think a house rule could be implemented that makes it more difficult to knock prone or stunt by or magic by stunt or magic effect creatures with four or more legs? My own thought is to make the stunt cost one stun point more, uh, and to give four-legged creatures, including Vargas's, uh, which you were planning on making, a plus two to tests versus magic that attempt to topple them, or a plus three to something like giant spiders. What do you think? Um, I think a lot of games do have this mechanic, and I think mm-hmm. it would be reasonable to apply something like a house rule that was very simple yeah. and very like uh, very easy to sort of mm-hmm. apply to anything. And maybe like a plus one stun point per extra two legs. I could see that. Personally, I would just leave the rules the way they are. Yeah. I think that they work just fine. Um, I don't think we really need to. Uh, I just mean, if somebody wants to add that little bit more. Right. If somebody, I mean, if, if that's going to make the game more interesting for them, then absolutely. I think just increasing the stun point cost would be enough. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly not a difficult uh, mechanic to implement, and mm-hmm. one it's not one that would add too much extra complexity to no. the game. So I could I could see that being something that would be just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank and, you for the question. Uh, and, oh. yeah, having also bonuses to test versus magic, that, that seems reasonable as well. I could see that. But, yeah, thank you very much. That's thank you so much, Parsifal. Uh, next question came from Grog through our email. I would love your advice on flail weapons. I am GMing a brief introductory solo campaign for a friend. She's going to start playing with our more experienced group. She really struggled choosing a weapon and settled on flails. Looking at the various weapons, I stole the flail from Burroughs since it drops shield bonus. We are presently using the Dragon Age system. How would you handle flails in-game? As she levels up, is there any cool magical flails you could think of for more interesting combat? Should I tell her flail shield drops bonus and defense bonus in each hit? Uh, would you allow flail to permanently break shields? Etc. Let's see. Uh, random thoughts, etc. Welcome. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little bit of it, like, my, my first instinct is to be a little bit wary, because yes. having an, an item that is designed to, like, guaranteed drop shield, def- shield abilities... Mm-hmm was not really planned for in the uh, design of the armor and defenses system. Mm-hmm. And so that could get broken very, very quickly. I could see it. You'd probably want to be careful because it could end up being a bit of a slippery slope mm-hmm. because then the players might start asking, well, what about all these other uh, things in the Blue Rose book? 
And if I'm not mistaken, most of, a lot of the weapons in the Blue Rose book have additional effects beyond just the damage they deal, mm-hmm. uh, which is not something that Dragon Age does a lot of. The mm-hmm. only ones that actually have extra bonus, extra stuff is like, I think a couple pole arms, uh, and the sh- and the spiked buckler, which increases melee defense. Mm-hmm. I tell you, if I were if I were going to do something like this, like have flails allowed. I would probably not have them do the uh, dropping of shield bonus with normal ones. Mm-hmm. I would say maybe if there may be some special ones, some special masterwork ones or something with magical enchants. I like that. Or even you know just a certain level of masterwork, and after that point, give them a stunt point, an additional special stunt point ability, yeah. where when you generate stunt points, like say three stunt points then if you, you can spend those three stun points to reduce somebody's shield by one. Okay. I was going to say two stun points. Or maybe one to three stun points. Now, this is probably a little bit more powerful. One to three stun points reducing their shield bonus for one round by the number of stun points that you spent. Well, see, for one round, I could see that. Mm. Just for and one it round. makes very little sense, though, for the shield mm. to only be broken for one round. Though. Right. I mean, more like, I guess, they just kind of get wrenched out of their hands. But uh, if you want to actually, like, break the shield, that would probably be more in the line of a special magical item's power. Yeah. Well, that was why I was thinking three stun points to reduce it by one, but then when you reduce gotcha. it to zero, I see what the shield at. is busted. Okay. I got you. I like it. I like this. I like this. What you're writing. I'd like to subscribe to this publication. <laughs> well, good news. Uh, it's, your, it's your show. <laughs> Woo! I did it. I don't have to spend any money on it. Good job. So that's. I guess that. I hope that answers your question, Grog. I like it. Um, yeah, it's a cool concept. Yeah. It's one that would you want to make sure you balance pretty carefully. Yeah, I want to be careful with moving. Age is usually pretty good about letting stuff move around between age games. Yeah, just, and we are certainly guilty of that. We are certainly guilty of that. You just want to be careful because some of those settings may not may end up having consequences that you weren't expecting. So yep. use with caution. And of course, to all of you, those of you listening out there, if you have a question about the Dragon Age RPG, whether it's mechanics, build suggestions, questions about lore, clarifications about old episodes, anything else, send a message to podcast at gmail.com, send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, or SoundCloud accounts, or send a personal message to Cot the Protector or Healer Pup on the Green Running forums, or send a message to Cut or Lease on the D20 radio forums. That's us. We are going to be skipping the Dissonant Verses this time. Haven't got much to talk about it, uh, but we do have plenty to talk about. Well, and uh, just a little side note is uh, Mm -hmm. we could have more Dissonant Verses to talk about if if y'all started sending us some extra stuff. If you find anything that you really want to make and then you make it, send it our way. Please do. We'll talk about it. You can send it to us through all the stuff we just mentioned and uh, all of the submissions that we have and we've got quite a collection on our resources Mm -hmm. for your, are found on the resources for your game page on our blog onesethetispodcast.wordpress.com There's some super useful stuff on there. Oh yeah, I've been going through it and it's it's pretty hefty by this point. I'm pretty excited. So, uh, thank you of course everyone who asked questions. Thank you for everybody who's already submitted stuff. We're going to uh, have, we're going to think of a cool segue. I don't know. I guess we're just not creative enough. Ugh. Welcome to the main topic. Is it fate or chance? I can never decide. You like me. I I suppose I do. You still like So, classes in session yet again today. The subject is creation magic. 
Sometimes called the school of nature, creation is the second school of matter that complements the first school of matter, entropy. And by that we mean they're kind of opposites. Yes, they're opposites of each other. Uh, complement is a very kind way to put it. Uh, well, there's like complementary colors. Yeah. Complementary colors, yeah. Um, creation controls natural forces, manipulating existing forces or bringing new things to be. In the Dragon Age universe, it is understood that creation magic is one of the most, one of the most, if not the most, difficult uh, school to start learning because it requires considerable finesse, meaning that very few people are very good at this school. Uh, Win is pretty much the one of the only one of the big ones around. Mm-hmm. She's pretty great. She's considered she's considered an exception to the rule. This, creation magic is not necessarily very popular. It's not very sexy. Yeah, it's not like, uh, doesn't, it doesn't go off with, like, big exciting flashes and, like, you know, fire everywhere and nothing. You're not going to be the one who, uh, you know, if you're specialized in creation magic, you're not going to be the one who takes down the final boss. Mm -hmm. That's not your job. But you yes. will be able to do things that no one else can do. It's so. true. Creation specialists are always in high demand around Thetis, whether there's a war on or not. Because everyone needs healing magic. Uh, and several of the spells are useful even without injuries to treat. And it's not really just a healing school. That's a thing that a lot of people sort of... That's a misconception that you can see quite a, quite frequently. Is that creation is not just for healing, and we will, like I said, certainly talk about healing and its downfalls and ways to make it better in this game. But, you know, if you want to heal and you want to find ways to make it more effective, then this is the school you want. It is. Creation specialists are also called our creationists or conjurers. Uh, the pros of creation magic is that they are unbeatable for support. They have a lot of very powerful ways to support, but uh, they're uh, like whether we're talking in or out of combat. That's mm -hmm. one of the things that's most remarkable, I think, about the creation mm -hmm. specialists is that their abilities outside of combat can be just as life-saving as those in combat. That's true. Like, if you're out in the desert, you can't find water. You're thirsty, yeah. If you got a creationist along, you might be okay. Well, and there are plenty of... And uh, another major thing is, if you are a creative player, uh. this... I, pun 100% intended. If you are a creative player, like, if you're one who has certain, you know, looks at... If you're one who looks at, like, a spell that is usually not used for attack and is like... I'll bet I could do something weird with this, and you talk to your GM, you're going to get away with all sorts of interesting stuff as far as creation is concerned. You just have to come up with it. If you can come up with it and your GM's okay with it, then make use of it. Indeed. It's, uh, the glyph spells, too, are mm -hmm. really solid for, at least there are a couple of glyph spells that are particularly good for if you want to have a bit more control over your battlefield. Hmm. Or even make the battlefield before you people... Even yeah, pretty much. You can't actually build your battlefield. It's true. Uh, and there are spells that can be used as traps, which can be useful for both players and GMs. Yep. Especially GMs. Honestly, <laughs> usually more GMs uh -huh. than players. This is definitely a really annoying mage to put on the bad guy's side. Uh, the cons of choosing creation magic is that offensive spells do require some time and forethought. I mean, if we're all honest with ourselves, there's virtually no offensive ability. There's, like, one. There's one spell that does mm. actual damage. You had to work it's pretty hard to get to it. It's not a whole lot of damage. And, uh, even the one, even the debuffing abilities are the, mm. uh, 
even the ones that are sort of battlefield control that are done by sort of causing enemies to grievance, those require a certain amount of, like, fortuitous planning and mm-hmm. things, and the opportunity to use them like that. So yes. keep in mind, you will not be the offense. That's true. Uh, you are not going to be doing much damage at all. Uh, this is not a great school of magic for somebody who wants to hold their own in a fight. Yes. You're going to be making sure that everybody else holds their own in a fight. If you want to be able to hold your own in a fight, you double up on schools. Mm-hmm. This is this is one of those schools that is an at like it is a support school, and in that I mean it as well as being full of support abilities. It supports other schools excellently. It does. It is a great school to have in conjunction with another more offensive school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in-universe, it is the most well-received kind of magic, but that is a pretty low bar. In that nobody catches fire, uh, looks no. to be possessed, or <laughs> starts draining, forever. you know, falls asleep forever, forever, or starts bleeding out their eyeballs, this is really the only option where none of those things kind of tend to happen, and that alone, I think, makes it more comfortably received, but that doesn't mean that people are comfortable with it. Yeah, it's unless you're Unless you're magic. Unless you're into Vinter. Then it's whatever. Then it's all whatever. Uh, so, what does creation magic do? This is primarily a support school, as you said. There are 27 spells, actually more than both primal and entropy. Not combined, but, but more than both of them. 19 of those are utility spells. Uh, mm-hmm. Two are enhancement spells, three are defense spells, and three are considered attack spells. Good luck with that uh, while the primalists and entropists will be attacking your foes, you will be more focused on keeping your allies safe and strong and supporting them with battlefield control spells. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of spell trees with which to do that, which we'll go get into, starting with perhaps the most obvious one, the heal tree. Yes. This uh, is a very bread-and-butter expectation mm. of the creation mage. Yes. And uh, it's got a pretty solid setup. Like, it does. It's, especially for low levels... Heal is one of those things that can be the difference between a party making it to level three and a group of people rolling <laughs> their third characters for the mm. like for the campaign. Like, it's true. Heal keeps people alive, and mm-hmm. it lets you pick how much you want to spend on it. Uh, let's see, what d6 per mana spent, and that means that if you get the journeyman degree of the spell, the journeyman degree of the creation talents. And you only spend one mana; it's free. You basically just get free unlimited healing, just really I've, slow. I have made. A great deal of use of that. <laughs> uh huh. I know Where, you are. Or uh, if you, you know, if you just want to do a full heal and you get the cheap, you can do three d six for one mana because. Yeah, come on. Well, and that's if you do if you combine the that ability mm-hmm. with the the what's it called? the journeyman ta- of the ta- yes. creation talent where it's all reduced by one. Mm-hmm. So you can just pay one and heal yeah, the maximum. Yeah, 3d6 to somebody who you touch and get an extra th- for only one mana. That's pretty sweet, pretty slick. Um, and it do- and uh, importantly, differently from uh, mm-hmm. the non-magical ability to heal. The you know, from Chirurgy is the word I was looking for. Yes. A uh, very important difference is that you can do this one twice without somebody having to get hurt again. It's true. Like if you somebody's hurt five and you heal the, or if somebody's hurt ten and you heal them five, you can just heal them the rest of the next round because it's magic. I don't so. need to take more damage. Low levels, this is a very useful spell to have. Yes, heal is then followed by the spell rejuvenate. 
which is uh, let's see a quick spell that you cast on somebody, and for your uh, magic and rounds, they regain a d6 health in each of the on, on the beginning of their turn. And I believe they get a d6 immediately upon you casting the spell as well. This is one of those spells that obviously it's not going to keep up with damage and right. at anything past like level three. But it has a secret, hidden, sort of fail-safe ability. Mm-hmm. If you are you've aware... used a couple times. More than a couple times. Especially if you have, say, I don't know, a glass cannon in your party who has a tendency to get themselves into trouble and then enter the dying state rather frequently. Mm-hmm. In that case, this is going to be your best friend and theirs because Rejuvenate heals them no matter what at the start of their round for your magic in rounds. This means... You're, you know, you're, if you're just fighting one, like, they're fighting one enemy, and that enemy keeps knocking them into the dying state, on their turn, they will keep getting back up, guaranteed, <laughs> and then the enemy has to knock them back into the dying state, and then they get back up, and then the enemy has to knock them back into the, it, because there are no real negative hit points no. that keep, that are kept track of, mm. and it's simply amount of rounds before you die, Yes. this spell saves lives. It can just have to hope that there's only one enemy next to them. That is the problem. And that they've only got one attack to spend. Mm-hmm. That is true. That, that could be an issue. It's but not perfect, but it has kept our party from wiping a couple times. Yes. Or Callian. Or pretty much just Callian, actually. Most of the time. Laura doesn't die. No. She doesn't do that. It's not a thing Laura does. Uh, but Rejuvenate does lead to... Uh, the sort of bigger spell on the list. Mm-hmm. And the, the capstone sort of, of this one. It's an interesting capstone, and it is mass rejuvenation, where it does pretty much what it says on the box. It's rejuvenate, but for a whole bunch of people. Basically, a number of allies equal to magic within 10 yards of you regain 1d6 health every round for your magic in rounds. And the downside to this one... Oh, by the way, the, the, the 10 yards thing is true for rejuvenate as well, which is another reason why rejuvenate is useful, because yes. having that reach is Yes, nice. you don't have to touch them for it, which you do have to do with heal. Mm-hmm. That's a big benefit. Uh, that said, this is 10 mana per one ally and 5 for each additional ally, and with a target number of 17... It's a rough this, spell. This spell kind of... This is a rather punishing spell. You probably want to wait a while before you take this one. Like, I believe I have this spell, and I have used it maybe once. Because the you really amount, needed it when you did. Yeah, well, the amount of healing that it provides is so sort of rather meager. It's not much, but it's something, and then you can cast. Well, you it's know, so expensive, especially right. when you could compare it to. We haven't talked. We'd already had a episode about this, Correct. but um, if you are wanting to do things involving the heal tree as part of sort of a specialization for you, there are two things to keep in mind. One, mm. spirit healer. Be a spirit healer. Do it. Do it. Do don't don't do use it. don't use mass rejuvenation. Use group heal. If you use them both, that's really expensive. Don't use them both. Use group heal. You <laughs> use both of them, except don't do that second part and just use group heal. Yeah. And uh, the other important thing to know is that without some sort of assistance from you know, an item or from your GM, healing does not scale into the mid to high levels very well, at all. In the end, it like obviously it'll work as a character concept in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. in the end, it mathematically becomes more effective for you to be trying to do damage to the enemy than restoring your friend. Mm-hmm. It'll mitigate some damage, but it's not going to keep up with it. Yeah, and it mitigates less and less as time goes by. That is the ugly truth. Mm-hmm. That said, there are certainly things that you can 
ask your GM to let you do and ways to sort of make it a more balanced option without it overpowering the damage being done. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them is, I believe, an item in a, on our resources for your game page. It is. Uh, you can actually find it at the top of our, any of our pages because it's in the uh, the back shelves collection, the new items. There's one of the belts that we made from Dragon Age Origins, and specifically the Creationist's Cord. It is a level that is a level 15 item because it is rather powerful and should probably be kept uh, until party really needs it in later levels. I would honestly say by the time people are about level 11, they kind of need this thing though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you wear the Creationist's Cord, uh, you can essentially, the one the item that we made, you basically can spend double the mana to add your magic to the healing that is, that is uh, you pay double the cost for the spell to add your magic to the healing done. Mm-hmm. Um, or triple triple, to, uh, triple the spell's cost to add double your magic. Yes, and uh, this becomes extremely useful when paired with things like group heal. Mm-hmm. And with rejuvenate, although I believe it only boosts them that one at the beginning. You get that double mm-hmm. magic boost at the beginning and not yes. every round. But it's a very... Uh, it, it's a, like Things like that certainly help. Mm-hmm. And honestly, having the double magic on the subsequent rounds for that much mana, I would say that's fair, but yes. that's just me. So there are ways to make this cool, to make that cool, but uh, just be advised that you want to take some care when moving it into the higher level. Mm-hmm. The next tree that we're going to cover is called the Heroic Tree. Uh, mm-hmm. includes the spells Heroic Offense, Heroic Aura, Heroic Defense, and Haste. All of them are buff spells. All of them are single target buff spells. And, uh, they're all kind of, eh, in my opinion. Yeah, heroic offense is always pretty good. Is okay for what it does. Yep, it's fairly three, cheap. But... Three mana and plus one to strength until the end of the encounter, which yeah. can be useful for more than just combat. It can be useful for climbing or jumping or intimidations. Yeah, it's got some nice versatility. It's not very expensive. It's a good little starter pack spell. Mm-hmm. Uh, heroic aura. Uh, it's not too expensive, and it is. And a, it's not too useful it's, either. It's a plus two to defense for to an ally within thirty yards uh, for the rest of the encounter. Uh, you can cast on yourself as well, but it does not stack with arcane shield or fade shield, which mm-hmm. are much better defense b- uh, boosting spells. But yeah. this, this is for your is, friends. This is for your friends. It shouldn't. It's probably not for you. There are better spells for that for for you to do it for yourself. Um, and see, and then the next is follow. And the next is heroic defense, which is. A little expensive. I think it's pretty slick. Um, plus five to defense and plus two to armor rating for an ally within thirty yards. Uh, it well, only... I think it's slick until you get to this point in the description. <laughs> it only it only remains for half your magic in rounds when you Ouch. initially cast it, but you can continue to pay mana to keep it going. Four mana at the tune of four mana per additional round. Yeah, which... Once you've got third tier spells, you've probably got a pretty decent mana pool. Yeah, but that, that's eaten into some right. solid mana. I mean, like, that hurts. Right, but five defense and two extra armor is rating, extremely especially nice. for like like your like the guardian who's got the huge shield and the twelve armor rating. Normally, they're going to be unstoppable. It's true. Just you're going to want to make sure you got a nice mana pool before you do that one. And mm-hmm. then uh, it caps off with the spell Haste. Now, those of you who are familiar with Haste from things like Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder, this is not that kind of Haste. It's a different kind of Haste. This one only hits one person, and it is probably best that you wait until like the 15 to 17 level range before you take it, because it is very expensive. 
it is very expensive and is not guaranteed to be useful for the amount that you're spending. Correct. Uh, it costs 10 mana to cast it, and for one round, your ally gets a plus 10 bonus to speed, and they can perform lightning attack for two stun points instead of three, And but they may perform lightning attack for as many times as they can afford it, which mm. all of that is pretty nice, but it only lasts for a round, and to keep it going on each additional round, you have to pay 10 more mana. Which is That's pricey. super pricey, not to mention the target number 17 on this bad Makes boy. Makes it a difficult spell to cast. So, if you want to get some use out of it, you'll probably want to wait, especially until the uh, warriors and rogues are getting quick strike and quick shot, where they can get just extra attacks as a minor action that can also generate stunt points. Mm -hmm. You get more mileage out of it. But before that, it is hard to argue for it, just because it's so pricey, and because it's so pricey, mm -hmm. and hard to cast. In the end, if you were wanting to take the uh, heroic tree anyway, then haste is not a bad thing to have. Like you're not right. going to be super upset that you have it. Hmm. Especially if you've got like the you've got somebody who's got to put a swift salve on and has uh, got several attacks to perform and can now suddenly perform lightning attack lightning attack for one stun point. Mm. You can basically perform an extra attack for each stun point they roll. Not if they can first armor from those <laughs> I mean, you could do both. What can I Why not do both? But, uh... Incidentally, Spirit is an excellently complimentary school of magic for this Speaking school. from experience... Yes. They, me they mesh quite well. They mesh very well, from a GM's perspective as well as a player's hmm. perspective. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, so, that's the Heroic Tree. Uh, moving on, we have the Glyph Trees. And this is where creation magic can get a little fun, if you, know, mm -hmm. if you, get, if you get smart with them. And if you have time. If you've got time, yes, that's correct. Uh, the first spell, Glyph of Paralysis, requi does require one minute to cast. Which means that you're probably not going to do it in combat. That's but if four you, rounds, that's a lot of time. That's four rounds in combat to draw a magical glyph on the ground. That's... Pretty rough, but if you've got some time before a combat, or you know people are coming, or if you even have like a base of operations that you want defensible, the glyph. Once you cast the glyph, it stays there until somebody sets it off. Uh, and it's and um, it does mention that it makes it's turn makes an invisible glyph on the ground. The first enemy within two yards of the glyph has to make a Constitution stamina test or be paralyzed for one d three rounds. And you can keep a number of these running equal to your magic, and they don't go away until they're expended. And yeah, so it like does, days. You can it, leave them; they will stay there. It's true, and it, it's forever, honestly. And you could. In it does mention that they are enemies specifically, not allies. Uh, enemies who cross over these will activate them. So anybody you de anybody you designate an enemy will shut it off, but anybody who's a friend can just come and go as they please. Yep. So not I, sure how the magic figures that out, but I'm not complaining. Eh, magic knows. Magic knows. Not all magic knows. Magic, right. There are some glyphs up ahead that are less familiar with your friends. Correct. Uh, the spell that comes after Glyph of Paralysis is Glyph of Warding. This one uh, only requires a major action to cast. Uh, and this it one. traces a glyph directly underneath you. You don't get to put, uh, pick where this one goes. Yes. I mean, unless you pick where you're standing. But that's it. Your allies within three yards of you, so... Which is an interesting measurement, honestly, yeah. because that's a you, square and a half. Right. I usually say that's two squares, yeah. personally. I was in three yards, gained plus two to willpower and defense versus ranged attacks, and it lasts until the encounter ends. This is really nice, simply because that plus two to willpower, when you have allies who didn't put points into willpower and they are fighting people who use magic, 
that plus two to willpower is an excellent thing to have. That can be a lifesaver. Now, the glyphs do not follow you, even though you trace underneath them, which means that you can cast it on the ground and then move and then put it down another, another one. one if you need it. Excellent for, like, you know, tower defense. Oh, yeah. They do not stack, as most spells don't. But your friends, yeah. your friend, your little willpower friends will thank you for them. Yeah, and also, just, you know, if you've got, if you're defending a tower, put them on, put them where your uh, guards on the parapets are going to be, and then people who try to shoot you down with arrows aren't going to be able to do it. Yeah, come on. All those guys returning fire. They're going to have a rough time. Um, the next spell on the list is Glyph of Repulsion. This is a fun one. Yes. I like this one. Uh, this one's also only a major action to cast, but you trace a glyph on the ground and strike it, and all enemies within 10 yards of you are pushed 10 yards away if they do not pass a Constitution Stamina mm-hmm. or a Dexterity Acrobatics test. This glyph is expended immediately upon using it, so it does not stay. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is worth noting that all enemies within 5 squares are then pushed 5 squares further away from you. So you, if they're just if they're exactly five squares away, suddenly they're going to be ten squares away if they don't make the test. Mm-hmm. This one, however, does let the enemy choose whether they prefer Constitution or Dexterity to resist it, which is kind of unique for a lot of spells. Most spells don't give you two options. A lot of a couple of entropy spells do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means that warriors and rogues are probably are going to pick their preferred stat for this. Uh, mages are probably going to have a problem, but mages probably aren't going to be getting close to you anyway. Actually, there's an important difference I think you might be uh, oh? missing here. Uh, they are pushed 10 yards away regardless. The, the, dex, uh, the, the stamina or acrobatics test is whether they are not prone. Hey, I have you. this spell, and I picked this one over, uh, over a repulsion field in the spirit class for a reason. And that is the reason. That's a good one. They don't get to choose whether or not they are knocked away. That is, unless they're a guardian, mm-hmm. then the case could be made that a guardian could probably not deal with this. Mm-hmm. But unless they're a guardian, they're they're leaving, and mm-hmm. it's whether or not they make that test decides whether or not they land on their butts or mm-hmm. get to stay on their feet. Yes. So Oof, that's that a, a good point. Hugely useful part to this. Thank like, you for pointing that out. Yeah, it's a good thing to know. Uh, the next, and the top of the glyph spell tree is glyph of neutralization. This is nasty. It's a nasty one, and it does uh, it does kind of assume that you're dealing with specific challenges, but mm. if you're dealing with those specific challenges, you will be glad you've got this spell. Um, it does require a, tw- a whopping 20 mana to cast. Uh, it requires a minute to cast, uh, but like... Glyph of well, gly- oh, but like glyph of paralysis and glyph of warding, you can maintain a number of these equal to your magic, and you can leave them. Uh, you can leave them around until they activate. If you're a GM and your in your PCs are a bunch of mages, this is a mean this thing. This is a really to mean have. thing to do. Uh, the first enemy that moves within two yards of the glyph activates the glyph, and anybody within ten yards of the glyph once it activates immediately loses three d six plus the caster's magic and mana. And they must make a magic creation test, or be unable to cast spells for 1d3 rounds. Now, That's there's mean. and there is something important here. Mm-hmm. It is an enemy. It has to be an enemy to trigger it. Yes. But everyone within 10 yards when it's active is affected by it. Correct. You'll want to make sure that you've got some distance between you and that glyph. Yep. So make sure that you are far away from these neutralization glyphs because mm-hmm. they'll they'll come for you too. I guess, I mean, if you're a rogue, you just kind of stand over, then you wouldn't be casting right. this. Now, whether or not this glyph turns invisible, like the glyph of paralysis, is a bit unclear. 
I could see the case being made that it does become invisible, kind of like mm-hmm. the paralysis. Otherwise, it wouldn't be super useful. Um, unless, you know, there you've got uh, warriors who know where... Unless you've got people who know where it is that are going around it. And just put a rug over it. Put a, <laughs> put a little fence around it. Put a little fence around it. Throw a blanket yeah. over it. Throw a blanket over it, right. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then just make sure that your your rogues and warriors know where to push the mages. Yep, skirmish is a good time is a good friend here. Mm-hmm. For most of these, actually, for glyph of for glyph of paralysis, uh, and see. glyph of neut- and, neut- and really glyph, glyph of neutralization too. paralysis, and I guess if you're being indelicate, uh, un- indelicate, indelicate with your allies, it can be helpful with glyph of warding. <laughs> <laughs> shove your friends into the glyph of warding. Get in the safe zone. There you go. Uh, then uh, there are two spells in the glyph tree that do not have any requirements, so, so they're not really in the tree, but there's some. But they're spells that you can take uh, just at any time. They are glyph of preservation and glyph of sealing. These are not this is, these are not combat spells. These spells have use, but have they do have some lovely uses outside of combat. This is one of those ways that creation sort of has its own little quiet shine, like. Mm-hmm. These are cool little things that, while you wouldn't necessarily use them in combat, though I'll bet if you're creative, you can find a find a way to do it. Mm-hmm. That uh, they're still super valuable in other situations, like with the glyph of preservation. It only costs one mana, and you're gonna hit the target number almost guaranteed. It's a five minute cast though, so this takes some time. But it uh, completely halts the process of decay of uh, any dead organic material for one month. And this can be used on food, on, you know, the corpses of your friends for burial, ostensibly. Yeah, I guess if you want to have an open casket. Yeah. But, uh, or, you know, if you have someone with a preserved corpse GM, and uh, somebody really doesn't want to lose that character, you know, you can always have, like, spiritual possession or something. It's preserved corpse, so... Yay! Interesting ideas. And, of course, if you have valuables that you don't want to have get, you know, messed up. I could see maybe putting them on delicate materials like paper and maybe, like, making the paper able to withstand being in water. I could see that. I could see a GM allowing that. That seems reasonable. I think that sounds reasonable. I think that sounds like fun, actually. Yeah. Because then maybe there are going to be folks who are trying to cast Dispel Magic on your glyph. you got to protect that litany of Adrella. Oh, man. Now I'm scared. That's, is, that's not a piece of paper. Stakes just went really high. Uh-huh. Um, next would be Glyph of Sealing, which we have used, actually, for an adventure I wrote once. And there's, there are a couple of really cool ways you could use this one. Mm-hmm. Basically, you touch a thing that closes and designate at least one other, you, know, you and one other person. And the, from then on, pretty much, you and that other person are the only people who can open that thing the way it is designed to be opened. Yes. This, if you are holding off something, like trying to make a stand in a room and you're trying to keep the door closed, you know, Darkspawn Incursion, this mm-hmm. is a great way to keep the Darkspawn from getting in. Right. It does require a minute to ca- and then so one minute So your friends to have to hold them off for four rounds. Yep. Hold them for four rounds and we can lock the door behind us. Uh, then the only way they're opening that door is by destroying it. Yep. Which... Buys but, you a substantial right. amount of time, or if Dark that door is made of stone. If that door is made of stone or, or even metal, then you can buy yourself a lot of time. Yeah, they're not getting in, and you can get out when they get bored and go away. There we go. Good job. Oh, <laughs> time for bed, I guess. You forget to turn that off? Oh, it's just going to do what it wants. 
But um, I believe we used that to seal a chest. So yes, that, we did. Uh, let's see, so that adventure. no other people could open it. Mm -hmm. You got to pick one person and then send them on a mission. Yep. And if uh, if you are a longtime listener to the podcast, you may have been joining us for that mission. Mm -hmm. We did an actual play a while ago. It was pretty fun. It was cool. We had a good time. I kept saying the wrong name, but it was okay. Good. <laughs> it's true. Um, the next tree is a curious one. Uh, the Spell Wisp tree. This is an interesting tree because it's kind of all over the place. It does a little mm -hmm. bit of everything stuff. Um, it starts with, of course, this, the spell, Spell Wisp, which creates mm -hmm. a tiny moat of light that floats over your shoulder. And, let's see... I believe it takes a minute... No. Yeah, it takes a minute for you to cast. It uh, does. But it increases your spell power by one for an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it creates enough light it for you to see. It does not create light. That's... Well, that's Officially. Easy. Right. Officially. It does not necessarily create light, but plus one to spell power, I mean, it's a nice little boosty. Only costs three mana. You have to recast it every hour, but it's mm -hmm. a low target number, so it's, a, it's an extra little thing. Yeah. The only downside here is it's taking up a valuable choice of a spell that you could have used on something maybe mm -hmm. a bit grander, but right. if you want the spell, if you want the spell wisp tree, then this is how you start. There you gotta go, because the next spell you get is Grease. I mean, I just, I enjoy Grease and pretty much Everyone loves a good Grease every, spell. Uh, who doesn't love a good Grease spell? Um, grease creates a slight Grease across a 10-yard diameter anywhere within 30 yards that you That's designate. That's what it says on the tin. Yep. Anyone who walks through it must make a dexterity acrobatics test or either they fall prone. And if you're already prone, you can crawl through it normally. Uh, however, unlike a lot of iterations of this spell in other games, this grease is flammable. Mm. You can set this grease on fire. <laughs> throw a torch or maybe have one of your allies cast flame blasts and then suddenly you've got a flaming grease slick. Yeah, it does 1d6 penetrating damage to everybody in the grease. No, no test to... Get rid of that. Yep, you just have, you have to get out, uh, and then it, uh, for your it burns for your magic in turns, until, uh, and then it burns out. Otherwise, if you don't burn it, the grease pretty much stays forever. Unless you wash it away with actual like you know. Yeah. Unless you have somebody clean it or like rain washes it away or something like that. Yeah, but it's there. It's <laughs> not gonna stop being there. It's gonna stick around. Uh, after grease is a is a very curious spell and a spell that has made quite a few people on the boards a little angry. Spell bloom. This is an interesting yeah, spell. It's relatively inexpensive for a third tier spell, only costing 8 mana. Uh, but it creates a magical font with a 4 yard radius anywhere within 50 yards. Uh, it lasts for your magic in rounds, and any mages within the radius regain 1d6 mana at the beginning of their turns. You may end it early to gain a number of stunt points equal to the remaining rounds of the spell that you, can, or that you must spend on spell stunts uh, before the end of your turn or they go away. But um, this is a nice spell. It's a pity that it has yes. sort of a two spell buy-in to it get a, to it. It has a funky uh, two spell buy-in. At to the get same to it, time, I can really understand this having a two spell buy-in. If yes. this were something you could just grab and go, uh -huh. it would be a little unreasonable. Right. With an eight mana cost it's pretty and lasting, if it's a third tier spell, you've probably got like a four or five magic by this point. Mm -hmm. So it's going to last for five rounds, uh, uh, four or five rounds, which means when you cast it on yourself, you cast it next to yourself, you're going to be getting a total of like four or five d6 mana over the over the course of those turns. You've probably paid for the spell by that point, and then uh, you can cast it again. Fun synergy bonus: if you are a master of the spirit tree of the spirit talent, mm -hmm. you can roll these d6s twice. Can you? Anytime you would regain mana, 
from yeah. from a source. You it doesn't say it. specifically potions. Nope. I was really hoping that that was not the case because that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that to be true. It, it's true. I'm looking this up. Do it. We're looking this up. We're clarifying the information on the air. You're. Your fear is palpable. My fear is palpable. I don't... I'd like don't. to preemptively <laughs> offer you my con- condolences. No. When you roll to regain uh, mana points, you can choose to re-roll the dice, but must keep crap. the results of the second roll. Oh, man. Well, Spell bloom in this situation is very good. <laughs> and then, once you've rolled it, you know, twice and gotten yourself a better result, you can just have yourself an extra couple of step points for your next spell. Oh, uh, man. Uh, now, it's a free stun point. A lot of GMs do not like this spell because it means that um, because it doesn't cost that much, and by the time you get it, you can probably restore quite a bit of mana with it. It means that mages, essentially in between encounters, if they've got enough time, can just get all their mana back. There are a number of reasons why I would be upset with this spell as a GM, and that is not the biggest reason no. that I would be upset with that spell. Why would you be upset? I would be upset with the fact that it's like a two-yard timed stunt point generator that pays for itself. That's that's kind of problematic. <laughs> that is a fair point, especially for someone like you who's got like a nine magic by this point. Yes. So if you you could spend like two rounds getting mana back. Yes, I could. Rerolling the mana that you get back. Oh, and I've, ex- I've thought this whole thing. And through. then expend it to get seven freaking stunt points on spell stunts. And I only Jesus. need three to fast cast. And you might already roll extra stunt points. Goodness, well, maker, help me. And make if, oh, once we hit 20th level, I'll only need two to fast cast. Draste's knickers. This will be great. Oh, man. This is wonderful. So this is perhaps one of the many, so one of the several reasons why Spellbloom is a somewhat controversial spell on the boards that I've Yeah. But, Consider very carefully whether or yes. not you want this in your game. I can understand why people might be a little skittish. It is worth mentioning that anybody within that four-yard radius does get mana back. So if there mm-hmm. are enemy mages, they can also benefit from this. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can just cancel it and get a bunch of stuff like Correct. But that means that they, you have stopped them from getting more mana. Jerks. There you go. Uh, well, so in the moving on. somewhat less exciting and really ludicrously expensive capstone... A stinging swarm comes after Spell Blue. I'm really not sure how we went from Spell Wisps to actual grease on the floor to magical recharge battery to... Bees? Bees! I'm not sure what the running theme is here, but... I mean, Sarah Sarah will be happy. So, Stinging Swarm is a whopping 20 mana points. Uh, It creates biting insects around a foe within 30 yards. The target takes 2d6 magic penetrating damage. Uh, They don't get a test to resist that, and it lasts for half your magic... No, it lasts for your magic in rounds? Half your magic ability in rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, not, so not super long, uh, but each of those rounds that they are taking penetrating damage that they can't reduce, they do also have to make constitution stamina tests or take penalties to attack and spellcasting tests. This can be pretty mean to throw at a mage, yes. um, and if the target dies while under the effects of the spell, the singing swarm moves on to another target within 20 yards. The bees find the new... The bees! So, I mean, Sarah will appreciate this spell, but that's pre- that's pretty pricey. Two D six plus I mean two D six plus magic penetrating damage is not bad. No. Uh, and it gives a little debuff if the enemy can't make a constitution stamina test, but that is pretty pricey. Mm-hmm. Uh, now by the time you've got this fourth tier spell, you've probably got a five or maybe even a six mana magic, so it's probably gonna last at most three rounds. 
Unless you've got some, like, uh, spell expertise talents to extend the duration. Mm-hmm. I see that face. I don't know what you're talking about. So, Let's look consider at the one that... it carefully. Yeah. This is a really interesting tree with yeah. some really interesting potential kind of all over for everyone involved. Yeah. Uh, next, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about the talent, uh, let's see, for creation magic. Uh, journey, let's see, like all the other schools of magic, some spells require you to have a certain degree in the talent of the, of the, spell, of the spell school before you can actually take the spell. Uh, mm-hmm. That is the case with these next three spells, Shape Earth, Spring, and Summon Beast. Yes. These I enjoy. These are all very useful for adventurers. Uh, and these are very just all very useful for adventuring and even for like community living. Uh, shape Earth and Spring could make a very make an apostate creationist very popular with a local village that needs help with construction or finding fresh water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and adventurers will both find these useful if they need to create shelter or maybe reorganize the walls of a dungeon. Yeah, well, and also like it Shape Earth could feasibly be. This is one of those times when you could be very creative in combat. Shape Earth is a major action. That's true. So if you uh, if you say needed to create a door mm-hmm. because one had been broken down, that's true. Just make it out of stone or dirt. Maybe there was a cave in, and now now there's not a cave in. Yeah, Shape Earth has some super useful uh, possibilities. It does. It, how well Shape Earth works does depend somewhat heavily on your GM because uh, it basically lets you use double your magic as your effective strength score when moving materials such as like, sand, earth, mud, or even stone. And exactly how fast those materials can be, cl- like how fast a cave-in could be cleared, or how fast a door could be crafted, or maybe a chest-high wall to be created to give your allies cover, or even just seal off an entire entrance. How quickly it happens may depend on what your GM thinks about how heavy the material is and what your effective strength score is. Talk now. to your GM. Talk to your GM about it. So you're going to so you're going to want to talk to your GM about how uh, how quickly the spell works. Mm-hmm. Summon Beast is really cool. Its downside is that it takes an entire hour to cast. One hour to cast. How much does it cost? Uh, Twenty-two mana. So it it hurts, and the target number is seventeen. But I mean. It's like the Disney Princess spell. Yeah. You just go and you, you sing around the forest's edge for an hour, and then, you know, your little animal friends come and help you. And by little animal friends, I mean maybe a Bronto. Maybe a Bronto. Maybe a bear. Maybe a bear. Maybe a dragon. Maybe. I mean... Probably a bunny. You might have to make a test to actually make it have a dragon listen yeah. to you. But, uh, basically you summon an animal, and the animal helps you for pretty much... The ne- until the next sunrise or sunset, whichever comes first. If they get hurt to uh, more than half their health, you will have to make a leadership test and try to keep them from running away. Or they can make a willpower morale test, yeah. whichever the GM feels is more appropriate. Yeah, but it's a, it's still it's a cool ability, and it lasts mm-hmm. for a good long time. So. You could, if you're really desperate, you could like call birds to deliver messages for you. Because if you're desperate and you, and you have an hour to be desperate, I guess. Yes, I mean the spell lasts for you know a full half a day, a full half a day. Mm-hmm. So they could probably get the message where you need it to go. But that is still, I mean, honestly, if you're spending 22 mana, you could probably even say that you could like call multiple small animals to do multiple tasks. Mm-hmm. That's a really, that's really pricey. It is, uh, but it's cool. The spell does specifically call out that the animals do understand what you say. Mm-hmm. Um, they understand your spoken commands and follow mm-hmm. them to the best of their abilities. Correct. So. 
That's particularly uh, useful too. And there's also spring, which is pretty straightforward. It makes clean drinking water. Yep. Uh, you it do just... have to cast it on natural earth or stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then a spring pops out, and if it goes into a hollow, it creates a pool. Yep, and it just, it'll, um, you can stop it at any time, and if you don't, it'll last for a number of hours equal to your magic. Just keeps making more water. And then the water just stays there, or yeah. drains, if it is there's in, a drain. Yes, it is entirely normal water, and it is perfectly drinkable, which can be very useful for uh, folks, perhaps, who are, like, stuck in the hissing waste with no water. Yeah, that. That's not a situation you really That's want to be not in. Fun. Um, if you become a master of creation magic uh, and the master degree of the talents, you gain access to, I believe, just one spell: mm-hmm. regeneration. Regeneration which, is an interesting spell, but it's unfortunately not one that is super useful within the mechanics of the game. Yes, within the current mechanics of the game, it is a debatably useful. Okay. The healing is nice. Um, although, arguably, within uh, the casting time of one hour, you probably could have done more healing than that. Yeah, um, it's 15 mana, and it takes one hour, and they gain 3d6 plus your magic in health, and it says that they're cured of any major injuries, such as broken bones or damaged organs, but those aren't no, a thing in this Those aren't game. a mechanic, normally. That would be a really good storytelling spell, so if you... perhaps if you... Yeah. If you come across, and if you like, maybe you're in the middle of a big battle, or like on the eve of a big battle, and your ally has has like broken their leg, or uh, maybe even has like caught something nasty, and um, the regeneration spell will let the will either fix the broken limb, or even like uh, counteract the effects of a poison or a disease. Um, the spell does not cure poisons or diseases, but it says it can counteract their effects. Mm-hmm. So it essentially buys them more time. Especially yeah. if somebody's got something like wyvern poison in them. Or amber rage. Or amber rage. This can probably uh, stave off the effects for a while long enough for you to get a cure. Or to find some way to counteract it, or even just let the disease run its course. Mm-hmm. Not amber rage, though. Right, not the amber rage. Um, the GM is likely going to want to think about this spell if one of the PCs take it, takes it and maybe create some problems that that spell can fix. Mm-hmm. Give give somebody a cool way to use it now that they've got it. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as spirit healer spells, we've pretty much talked about them. Group heal is still good, especially if once you get a creationist cord going, it's much more valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, go back to episode fourteen, getting in the spirit, to uh, hear a bit more about spirit ba- about yeah. spirit healer mm-hmm. stuff. You can hear all about the spells: group heal, revival, and life ward. All three can be quite handy. But I'd say we made the most use out of group heal by far, yeah, and then life ward as a distance second. All the time. Um, and of course, the last three creation spells belong to the shapeshifter specialization: small animal form, large animal form, and vicious beast form. We will touch on those when we talk about the shapeshifter specialization, as they are the bread and butter of that spec. Rest assured, they're cool. They're pretty fun. Um, and of course, uh, we will talk a little bit about the creation magic talent itself and what mm-hmm. it gives you, uh, apart from unlocking a couple of spells to take. Yeah, it's uh, not a whole lot of really fancy things. It's pretty yeah. straightforward, but there there's some nice stuff in there. The novice degree lets you create a wisp of light that shines out to ten yard radius as a free action, and then you can mm-hmm. put it away as a free action. Now this is nice. The fact that you can take it out and put it away as a free action, and the fact that you actually gain a source of light that isn't a torch or fire or some other. Mm-hmm. These are not things that are easy to come by in the Dragon Age universe. So having this as a thing that you can get out without wasting your action economy and having it at all with while maintaining free hands 
is pretty exceptional. Like, that's a useful thing to have. You could do much worse than that. Mm-hmm. Not bad at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, the journeyman degree does what all the journeyman degrees do, and that's only good stuff. Yep. It makes all of your creation spells cost one less mana, uh, and it gives you an extra creation spell. Nice. Woo! That, that, that was just... They're, they're all just nice. It's always good. Uh, the master degree <laughs> is a little less exciting. It gives you an extra creation spell. Which is always nice. Good. And it gives you a permanent plus one bonus to defense. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, Hooray. you've got things like Fade Shield and Arcane Shield, or even Spell Wisp, and even Spell Wisp to put on top of it, then you could be getting a pretty decent defense out of that, but it's... I yeah. mean, compared to, like, you know, getting a re-roll the time you regain mana points, mm-hmm. that's not quite as good. It saved you from, like, a couple of attacks by now. Two. Literally two. That's a couple. One couple. That is one couple. I'm not impressed. I am, however, impressed with pretty much everything else that comes with creation when used sort of, you know, responsibly and in conjunction with other abilities. Mm -hmm. It can be extremely powerful to the point where, you know, it can turn you into your own battery. Yes. If if the jam's not careful. I could, uh... Sorry, go ahead. And it's quite, uh... Really, it provides a really interesting way to play creatively and uh, to play sort of by, by providing sort of new opportunities to use the things that you get. Mm-hmm. Not just throwing fire at people. I could see yeah, someone setting up a spell bloom underneath them and then casting like, renewable spells like regenerate, like rejuvenation, but getting that mana back every round after, while they're spending it to keep it going. But honestly, you could do that with just about... Any I really want has. to get it and use it with my Wrath of the Elven mm. because that would that would make me happy. Oh jeez. Or you, and use it with force magic. field. Say, that's a vortex of magical energy right there. A force field, a spell bloom, a Wrath of the Elven. Stands <laughs> going. Yes. We've got a repulsion field in there too, or oh, glyph of um, neutralization. Glyph, glyph of uh, repulsion. Yeah. Jeez. Then if anybody gets through all of that, I'll just use uh, stone throw and oh. be somewhere else. <laughs> oh my God. That's ridiculous. You, you do you that. Me, you let me become this. I have I have let you do this, haven't I? Well, you know, it's fun. It's a good time. It also gives me ideas for the future. To borrow. You keep borrowing my stuff and using you it making, against you me. You keep making good ones. You make all the good ones. I need, anyway. I need to get a copyright. <laughs> need to write and make a patent for the, uh, what do we call it, the... The day, let's see, let's see. The spirit the battery. The deluge. Oh, there you go. On that note. On that note. That sounds really dirty. Moving right I, along. Um, this is Ren wishing no, lots of sixes creative. on that dragon die. Uh, this is Jessica wishing you good heels and happy feels. Thank you so much for listening to the One is the Thetis podcast. We'll catch you next time. Hope to hear you hope to hear, have, uh, have you all vote on our next episode, which we'll be Indeed. putting on our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+. Plus pages uh, here very soon. Oh, hey, and uh, if you celebrate any holidays at this time of year, we hope you have good ones. There's like two dozen that go around, so there's lots of love to go around. Yep, actually, come to think of it, are we going to have another one? No, we will not be having another episode until 2018, so... I guess we'll see you next year. We'll see you all next year. Have an excellent uh, remainder of your 2017. See See you in the future, suckers! (laughs)